Yellen sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kirk or read my articles by following or viewing the brew on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod or on Facebook by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me, as always, is my cheesehead loving buddy, Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy Podcast and can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today, buddy? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Gonna have a nice, relaxing Sunday. You know, watch some football, not have to stress about the Packers this week, which I guess I haven't had to do very much of because they've just kind of walked through opponents so far this year. So overall, doing pretty good. Gonna enjoy a nice, relaxing day after a fun and eventful weekend so far. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's weird. No Packer game. It's weird. In my household, there's no Bears game for my wife either because they played on Thursday. So we're literally doing a whole lot of nothing in terms of from a working standpoint, but six months after we're married, we're finally taking our wedding pictures this afternoon, so we do have that to look forward to. It's It's been a circus this year, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely has. <laughs> this whole 2020 year has been quite eventful, and things have not been anywhere near what we expected, and that is the same as these two players we're going to talk about today because they struggled just as much as the rest of us in 2020. Yeah, you're right. So I kind of wanted to kick off our off-season programming here by getting the negatives out of the way first, which, as you alluded to, we're going to be talking about Christian Yelich and Keston Hira basically this entire podcast. Just going to kind of dive into what exactly went wrong for them in this 2020 season. Is there a player you want to start with first? Or do you not care? Why don't we start with Yelich? Because I feel like even though Keston's strugglings were bad too, I feel like his was a little bit disappointing because we expected a little bit more out of him. Yeah, I agree 100%. So I wrote an article for reviewing the brew on Yelich's struggles. And really, when you break it down, I think you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Like he signs this big contract in spring training, like literally a couple days before everything's shut down. And oftentimes getting a contract under your belt, like takes less pressure off a player. Like, hey, they know I'm financially secure, but then the world goes crazy. They come back to summer camp and maybe the expectations were there that he's just going to keep delivering like he had been, which would obviously be awesome. But he struggled throughout summer camp and he struggled throughout the beginning of the season in particular with the strikeouts, like we always thought, just a timing issue. He needs to get more at-bats under his belt. He's going to snap out of it. But then the regular season began, and the first two series of the year, 
he had 27 at bats and 12 of them he struck out in. And that was really just a theme throughout the entire year. I mean, strikeouts was a career high for him. And it was just a jump that nobody really saw coming. And as a result, I think he started to adjust the way he plays, right? Like he's like, okay, I'm not making contact. What can I do to still help the ball club out? And he adjusted by swinging less often, especially early in the count. So if you take a look back to what Yelich was doing in 2018, 2019, in particular with the first pitch, he was more aggressive. 27% first swing percentage in 18, 29 in 2019, and then 2020 down to 13.4, which is a career low even when you go all the way back down to his days with the Marlins. And it's really unfortunate because Yelich does a lot of damage with the first pitches of at-bats. I mean, in 2019, he had 44 homers. Eight of those homers came on the first pitch. Eight more came in 1-0 counts, and five came in 0-1 counts. So that's 21 of his 44 home runs coming on the first or second pitches of at bats. <laughs> when you break that down into what happened in 2020, he hit just two home runs with those same standards. So that is just a crazy bananas stat line right there for me. And I think if you're like me, Trevor, you probably noticed that he was looking a lot more timid at the plate, especially at the first pitch and just not swinging. Would you agree? Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I've said on this podcast multiple times, I'm very, for baseball, I love the kind of old school, traditional look into baseball. There's still new school ideas that I like and I enjoy. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of this Brewers team and I like Craig Council as a manager and he's definitely not old school at all. But for my whole life, I believed the best pitch is the first pitch and maybe not the first pitch, but the first strike is typically the best pitch you're going to see in an at-bat. So swinging on the first pitch makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, when you drop from 27 and 29.5% in 2018 and 2019 for first pitch swing rate to 13%, that is just a huge drop. And to me, it makes sense why that drop corresponds with a 10% increase in strikeout percentage. Because, like I said, typically that first pitch is going to be your best pitch. And I get... Yelich wasn't swinging the bat great this year, obviously, and he was trying to, you know, get deeper into counts, try to get on base by walks because he just wasn't, he didn't have it this year at all. So he was trying to better this baseball team, but to me, he's too talented of a player to not be able to swing through it and get out of it eventually. So to me, I would have much rather seen him continue his aggressive nature and just keep swinging because eventually he's going to come out of it. He's too talented not to come out of this. So to me, I would have liked him to continue to see that, you know, swing early in counts, take advantage of those pitches that these pitchers are going to give to you. Because to me, once you once he was down, you know, 0-2, 1-2, even 2-2, they would throw a slider, a curveball in the dirt, and we never saw this from Christian Yelich in his first two years in Milwaukee, but he looked bad swinging at those pitches. Like, he was pressing so much, and then once he got down, you know, two strikes, then he was expanding the strike zone and trying to just make contact, and I just felt like it would have been a better way to go about it than just try to get that contact early against good pitches to kind of get your get your mojo back, get your confidence back to become the player we saw in the last two years. 
because to me, clearly the strategy that he went with, even though he did get on base a lot, I felt like it probably would have been more effective had he just teed off on those early pitches to hopefully get him back to the player that we saw in the last two years. Yeah, I mean, bouncing off what you're saying, like it's obviously no secret when pitchers are ahead in the count, they hold the advantage. <laughs> and you mentioned Yelch trying to work deeper in the counts. And, you know, it's no, it's true that he did like his career high of 18% walk rate was was the best he's ever had. But then you get these feelings of like false hope throughout the season with Yelich because he would work himself deep into counts, but he just still couldn't find success. I mean, in 51 full count situations in 2020, he struck out on 21 of those chances. Sure, he walked 18 of those times, but just four hits with full counts. Like oftentimes you think, okay, if a if a batter's seeing a lot of pitches, advantage batter. Uh, I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, that's a split of a 121 batting average in full count situations this year for Yelich. Sure, you attack on the 431 on base percentage due to all the walks, but you need Yelich to do damage like you were talking about. And he just stopped swinging at pitches in the zone. I mean, his zone swing percentage was just 58% in 2020. It was at 70% last year. So it was just kind of a guy who who lost all this confidence. And like you said, he, he would look silly at the plate at times. But when I was digging into numbers, I thought the really weird part was that his chase percentage was actually a career low at just 17% this year, which kind of suggests that his batter eye was actually just fine. But I mean, when you break it down farther, though, okay, he chased a career low, but he only made contact on 38% of the pitches uh, that he swung at outside of the zone, which is absolutely dreadful and was really just the theme of the year with him, whiffs and strikeouts. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint what exactly what happened, but I think it just all kind of comes down to you had a, a great hitter who lost his confidence, tried to make adjustments, and nothing really got him back on track. And in a short 60-game season... This was the result, even to one of the previously best hitters in baseball. That does kind of surprise me with the chase percentage that low. But it just felt like Christian Yelich the last two years, Christian Yelich would, yeah, he'd chase out of the zone, but he'd chase good pitches out of the zone. You know, he'd chase that fastball that was, you know, just outside or a fastball at the shins that he can still do something with occasionally, you know, if it's out over the plate. But it seemed like he was chasing, you know, those pitches that catchers have to block, you know, those sliders, those curveballs in the dirt type of stuff where it just, it didn't look good. <laughs> it just flat out did not look good. And the, that maybe is why it caught my eye a little bit more and probably why was chasing those pitches. He had a career low with his contact on those pitches because he wasn't chasing the good pitches and he was swinging at just bad pitches. And to your point, Tyler, it was those pitches where the pitcher is now in control because Christian Yelich is waiting back, trying to get deeper into counts and the pitcher throws two strikes or he starts out the at bat one and two. And now the pitcher can do, he has two play, pitches to work with to try to not give Christian Yelich, you know, a meatball, something that he can drive. You can just kind of play with him. And when you're down in the count like that and it's semi close or it looks like it's going to be close and then they drop drops off the table at the plate, 
yeah, it, it's going to make you look silly. And I think pitchers did a good job of doing that this year of one, getting ahead when they knew he wasn't swinging early in counts and two, making sure when they did get him to chase that it was a good pitch for him to chase in turn for the pitcher, at least that it, they, he wasn't going to be able to make contact with that. So it's just a, it's a lot of combination of different things, like you said, and it's a little bit frustrating, but to me, at the same time, it's like this guy gets his confidence back and he gets his approach back. I think we're going to see Christian Yelich from 2018 and 2019 back in 2021. Yeah, we should definitely not see Yelich with the second most amount of strikeouts in the National League next year. Like that would, I'd be really surprised by that. And kind of what you're talking about there got me thinking like, yeah, he was chasing all these pitches and. But the thing is, like, he also, there was a huge expanded strike zone this year, right? And it felt like Yelich got the short end of the stick on a lot of those calls. So I'm curious to know, like, if someone somehow could go back and, like, find, you know, the, the Fox tracker or whatever, the, the whatever tracks balls and strikes on the television, like, the ones that were called strikes that were actually balls, I bet you his walk percentage goes up probably closer to, like, 25 like he got gypped off that much (laughs) at least it felt like anyway and yeah in terms of Yelich bouncing back I mean I think there are evidence to support that he definitely will I mean his exit velocity this year was a career high 94 miles per hour and they don't have the averages out for the rest of the MLB but last year it was at 93.2 and that was sixth best (laughs) in all of baseball so I have to think this year he's going to He's at least in the top five, maybe even top three. So like when he is making contact, it's hard and it's going places. So the evidence is there to help support that he will be back next year as well. Switching over to Keston Hira. So a little different here. Obviously, Hira was in year two. And I wrote an article all the way back in January about what he has to do to avoid the sophomore slump. The dreaded slump, man. So I compared two numbers. That's kind of where I want to start with with Hira here. The first one was BABIP, so batting average on balls in play. In his first year in the league, it was 402. This year, it was 273. So an MLB average hitter is right around 300, so he's a little bit below average. And then real good hitters are at 350. So he knew 402 was not sustainable. But 273 to me was a little surprising because when I think of Keston, I think of a guy who hits balls hard and, you know, should be able to sneak some balls through the infields to get singles that way. But it really just wasn't. I mean, he hit the ball on the ground a lot more this year, a 7% increase. And his exit velocity was down on average four miles per hour at 87 compared to last year. So when you combine those two, yeah, sure, the ball isn't going to get through as much. That little bit of velocity there is going to make a difference. And I think kind of like Yelich here was just pressing more. I mean, we saw him pull the ball a lot more this year, 36% this year as compared to 27%. And in last year was at 27 for opposite field, this year only at 23. So, I mean, when I think of here, I think of like the first thing going to opposite field that comes to my mind is that, uh, walk-off homer against the Cubs he hit. Just that nice swing of the bat line drive that just cleared the fence. Like, we did not see as much of that this year. So when you combine him pressing at the plates and not making as good contact, you're going to see this drop in Babip there. You have hinted at this question of what can we expect 
from Keston here. Are we going to expect, you know, a league average player or near that 350 range for Babip, like you said? And you have written in your article that in 2019, Christian Yelich's Babip was 355. I think Keston Hira at this point, we can say that he's going to be on that level. I don't think that is something realistic, but I do think he's going to be an above average MLB hitter for the most part. So, you know, we're I'm thinking somewhere in that 300 to 330 range for that number makes a little bit more sense, but and that would be, you know, pretty close to the middle of where he was in 2019 compared to where he was in 2020. So I think regression to the mean is something that is real. And he was very, very good in 2019. And then 2020, you know, those numbers have to average out at some point and it came crashing down. I think he's going to end up somewhere in the middle, somewhere between that 300 and 325, 330 range, because I do think, he is a very, very good player, and he's going to continue to show us that. Um, it just was a little bit of a struggle this year. And we just talked about Christian Yelich, who I didn't expect to have an off year for another eight years. So you, you never know. It's baseball. These things happen. So hopefully he's able to come back from this and be closer to what we saw in 2019. But again, you can't expect that number because that number is crazy. Yeah, that is that 2019 for or whatever it was that's ridiculous and that's just the hard part with this this game you don't know what to expect out of young players so if Hira's mean is what you said 300 to 330 for a bit that would be absolutely fantastic the other number I compared in this article back in January was ISO which is a metric that measures a batter's raw power numbers so to calculate it out it's just slugging percentage minus batting average and what that essentially gives you is how many extra bases a player averages per in at bat. So in 2019, here's number was 0.268. League average that year was 0.183. So well above that. And then 20 number was 198. So almost in the middle there somewhere. So now you have to kind of dive into, well, how did he get to this number? Well, he had 13 home runs in 2020 and just four doubles which is just astounding to me. In 2019, he got to that 268 number by having 23 doubles in however many home runs he had. But those 23 doubles came in roughly 350 at-bats, and in 2020, he had 250 at-bats, so a difference of 100 there. But the doubles difference, 23 to 4, is just crazy difference there and really kind of supports like what our eye test told us this year of Kesson Hira was that it was home run or bust. I mean, that's what I thought I saw out of him. Yeah. And, you know, I've watched games with my girlfriend this year and casting comes up and literally every time I'm like, I think I've only seen him hit the ball and play like once a game and the three other times he's striking out. I That's what it felt like all of the time. And then, of course, the game I said that he hit two home runs and I was no, it was a home run and a double. And I was like, of course, now I say something and he's starting to come out of it. But I was hoping that was going to be the turning point. But it just kind of continued throughout the whole year of it was home run or strikeout. That is what it felt like the entire season for Keston Hira. It was 
like you said, Tyler, home run or bust is a good way to put it because that's what Keston Hira was. And if we can get him to be a little less home run or bust, like continue with the home runs, obviously. We love them. They're fun. But let's decrease that bust chance. Let's let's get a few more doubles in there. Let's get a few more base hits and just get on base less than that strikeout percentage. You know, if if we can find a way to do that, but keep that type of raw power, because even in 2020, in what was in all accounts a very down year for Keston Hira, he's still above that at least 2019 league average of that ISO stat that you were talking about. So that raw power is there. You know that. We've seen that time and time again, and even in an off year, we see it. So limit that bust a little bit more often coming into 2020, because that is what, to me, is going to get Keston Hero back to that guy that you can put behind Christian Yelich in the lineup, and you have to pit, pitch to Christian because Keston Hero can do just as much damage as Yelich can. He certainly can, and you brought up the strikeouts with Yelich, which or with Hira, excuse me, which I think is what everyone just kind of blames his struggles on. But I mean, we knew even before Kesson Hira was a major leaguer that he strikes out a lot. So I kind of dig some did some digging. I mean, sure, his strikeout percentage increased by four percent this year in 2020, it went from 30 to 34. So then you take a look at like how he's doing in the plate at the plate because kind of like Yelich like to the eye test you're like oh my god he swings at so many of these terrible pitches out of the zone but a lot of his numbers in how in terms of how he chases are very similar to what he did last year in fact his chase percentage is actually down by 1.4 percent in 2020 if you believe that or not but the whiffs are way up I mean he was still swinging the same amount whether it was pitches in the zone or out of the zone, he didn't really alter his approach like Yelich did. First pitch swing percentage was slightly lower in 2020 for Hira, about 5% lower, but nothing crazy like what happened with uh, Yelich there. And then Hira was still seeing the meatballs, still swinging at him, just obviously not making contact. So I dug a little deeper and I was like, okay, well, I know the broadcast always talks about he's not hitting the fastballs and they're just pitching him high in the zone. And it is actually very true when you look at the numbers. I mean, in 2019, his whiff percentage against fastballs was 30%. Okay, not bad. And in this year, it was 41%. So there is a huge discrepancy there. I mean, obviously, he whiffs a lot on breaking and off-speed pitches. That was about the same as last year compared to 2020. But when you're not hitting the pitch you do the most damage with, that's when you start to see that dip in numbers. Because, I mean, Kessin Hira in 2019 hit 11 of his home runs off the fastball. He hit nine of them this year, which is obviously good, but he also whiffed a lot more. So he missed out on a lot more opportunities to do damage. And as a major leaguer, I feel like you have to be able to hit a fastball. Yeah, definitely. So basically... What I'm hearing to get Christian Yelich and Keston Hero better, they just need to go to Arizona and hang out with Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader. And for the first week, Josh Hader just throws his fastball at Keston Hero at his chest <laughs> and make him figure out how to hit that ball. And let's just do a little iron sharpening iron type of stuff and get these guys, mainly Christian Yelich and Keston Hero back. But, you know, pitching to those guys 
would would better those other four pitchers that I said. And I think that would obviously that's not going to happen like that. But obviously, if you can get your pitching better by pitching to these types of guys a little bit more often and get Keston here and Christian Yelich to figure out what they need to do differently to get back to the players that we saw previously, that would be awesome. And I just think that if there's a guy that could help Keston Hira, it's Josh Hader throwing his fastball where he always throws his fastball at the chest. And yeah, that that would help if he can figure out how to hit that high fastball. Everything changes because then we know Keston Hira is going to miss those breaking balls. He's not a good breaking ball hitter. He's not a great off-speed hitter. But if he can figure out how to hit the fastball and not whiff like he did this year on that pitch, especially when he is a fastball hitter. That's what he's known for. So he needs to figure that out. And Josh Hader seems like the way to go with that. <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned Josh Hader and not like Ray Black, because I don't want Kesson here to feel threatened for his life <laughs> watching <laughs> yeah, those yeah. come at him. <laughs> yeah, obviously not Ray Black, because I, I would be afraid that Ray Black loses control and we got one coming at Keston Hero's head, or probably more than just one. Um, but <laughs> definitely just like, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be Hater, but you have some flamethrowers in that bullpen, not and not even in the bullpen. Corbin Burns can throw fast. Um, Brandon Woodruff can is a flamethrower. Like just when you're pitching to them in training camp next year or whatever, throw the ball up at his chest and and figure out how he can figure that out and not whiff at that pitch. And obviously that starts with Keston like doing the work in the offseason of trying to get better with that, knowing that he struggled with that, trying to be able to get up to those pitches at that speed and then come back in training camp and continue to work on it and continue to be something you improve upon. Because if he improves upon that, and people think, especially early in the year, that then they can blow it by him. And then he starts out 2021 on a tear because people are like, oh, he can't hit a high fastball and he's just jacking him out of the park because that's what he does. That would be a great step forward. And then, you know, if he starts laying off breaking pitches, doesn't chase much, then they have to throw him fastballs. And then it's just going to be a win-win for Keston Hero there. I'm glad you mentioned the other flamethrowers like, like the Brewers have because I was like, you kept saying Josh Hader, and I'm like, surprisingly, like in 2019, Kesson Hira struggled against lefties and hit righties a lot better. But in 2020 now, it was the exact opposite. He actually hit lefties better than he did righties. Obviously, he saw a lot more righties than lefties. But, I mean, a 200 average against righties, 241 against lefties, which is not very good. Still hit most of his power numbers good against the righties there. But yeah, you just got me thinking about that, as you said, Hater. So I'm glad you mentioned the other guys. I do have one more theory on Kesson Hira for you. Maybe a little bit of conspiracy. We'll, we'll see here. But Hira this year in 2020 had a fly ball batting average of just 205, which is not very good in case you didn't know. In 2019, that batting average was 357. So you can kind of chalk this up to this year as, okay, well, he was, wasn't was making as good of contact, a lot more weak contact. He had a decreased exit velocity, so maybe the ball just wasn't traveling as far. But the other aspect is, was it the baseball? We haven't heard any talks about the baseball this year and the increased home run numbers. So what do you think? Uh, 
I think for the most part you can attribute a lot of that to just Keston at the plate. You know, we've, we've talked this whole podcast, you know, we've already been talking for almost 30 minutes about how much these two players in Hira and Yelich have been struggling. I think you can attribute a lot of this to the actual play of these players, and and hopefully we're going to see them do better in the coming years. Um, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist. You know, the baseball is the baseball. It's what you have to play with. So even if it is changed and it's not the same, you got to figure out how to be effective doing that. And that is exactly what Hira and Yelich need to do moving forward to make their investments in these two players worth it and make the Brewers have a chance to make a deep postseason run. Yeah, whatever they do this offseason, hopefully it results in better 2021s for sure. I'm thinking hopefully a a somewhat normal offseason for Yelich might help. I mean, he doesn't have to rehab back from an injury at all or anything. So at least that's one little bit of normalcy there in this world we're living in. But yeah, we just hashed out a lot of the struggles for the Brewers offense here in this first podcast of the offseason. So I think we will wrap it up here for today. As I mentioned last time, we're just doing podcasts once a week here now in the off season. So check us out next Monday. Make sure you're checking out the Packers Trilogy podcast. Lots of good stuff happening with the Packers as well as check us out on YouTube. Trevor's doing a lot of breakdown videos of the Packers with his fancy all 22 looks and different camera angles. And it's really cool and insightful. So check it all out and we will see you later, Brewer fans. Trustin Stearns. Stearns.